Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And daughter, do death. Hello, Phoebe. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are your Christmas preparations coming along? They're okay. <laughs> I've bought a few presents. That's about it. <laughs> oh, I started writing a bit of a shopping list. I've got an Asda order booked. That's about it. How about you? Yeah, fine. I think most presents are now bought and wrapped, which is quite remarkable, considering about two weeks ago I hadn't done anything. So uh, impressive. Oh, to have time. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm I'm very excited for a break. Um, Well, I say break, but uh, just doing one thing rather than a million things. I'm very much looking forward to that. Ah, yeah, that should be what it's all about, isn't it? Christmas, but sometimes it just gets (laughs) as busy. Yeah, (laughs) it'll be different. It'll be a change. That's the main thing, and a change is as good as a rest. Yes. So last week um, we talked about the story of Vernon Reynolds and how he had a disastrous start to 1992. Yeah. Well, in as much as he killed himself, he was together dead. With, yeah. <laughs> together with three lads, and that was after he'd stabbed his wife in front of his three children, plus assaulted other family members. So, uh, yeah, not a great New Year for that family. No. Bad things happen around Christmas. Yes, and tonight I'm going to tell you about Joe Yates and her story, which is quite famous from 2010, um, and she was found on Christmas Day. Um, so again, fitting into a kind of festive yeah. timeline theme. Yes. So Joanna Claire Yates was born on the 19th of April 1995 to David and Therese Yates in Hampshire, England, and she was privately educated at Embley Park near Romsey. And then she studied for her A-levels at Peter Simmons College and graduated with a degree in landscape architecture from Rittle College, which is in Chelmsford. Oh, yeah. Um, Just outside Chelmsford. Nice little village. (laughs) Uh, She received her postgraduate diploma in landscape architecture from the University of Gloucestershire. So she was was outdoorsy. She was obviously very much into gardening. (laughs) Um, And in December 2008, she met 25-year-old architect Greg Reardon at the firm Highland Edgar Driver in Winchester. And they moved in together in 2009 and then settled in Bristol when the company they worked for moved there. Mm -hmm. Then they moved into a flat on 44 Canning Road, and it was a, a large house that had been split up into several flats. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was in the city's quite affluent Clifton suburb. And they yeah. moved there in October 2010. So in December of 2010, they were getting ready to head to Hampshire to spend Christmas with Joe's family. On the 17th of December, Greg headed home to Sheffield to spend the weekend with his family and friends before Christmas. And Joe stayed at their home in Bristol. Also on the 17th of December, Joe went out to her Christmas party at the Bristol Ram Pub on Park Street. Um, at about eight o'clock, she left the party, which is obviously a work Christmas party with her colleagues, to begin the 30-minute walk home. She told her friends and colleagues that she was not looking forward to spending the weekend alone, um, and it was going to be the first that she'd had in the flat without Greg being there, because obviously they'd only been there a couple of months. Yeah. And she was planning to spend the weekend baking in preparation for a party that they were having in the following week and, and doing some shopping for Christmas and just getting ready to kind of go away to go and see her 
her friends and her family back in Hampshire. So Jo was seen on CCTV at about 8, 10 p.m. leaving the Waitrose that was by the pub, but without mm-hmm. purchasing anything. And then there's a phone record of her calling her best friend, Rebecca Scott, at about half past eight to arrange meeting her back at home in Hampshire on Christmas Eve. Right. And the last known footage of Jo is, is her being recorded by a pizza for a branch of Tesco Express that was near her house at about 8.40. And she'd also bought two bottles of cider at a nearby off-license, the Bargain Booth, around the same sort of time. And that was the last anyone ever saw of her. Right. About eight o'clock on the 19th of December, Greg returned back to their flat in Bristol to find that Joe wasn't there. He wasn't like immediately concerned because he thought maybe she just popped out. But he had been trying to contact her by phone and text all weekend, but hadn't been able to get a hold of her. And again, he wasn't that worried because he thought maybe she just lost her phone or left it somewhere or just hadn't got around to messaging him back. Um, so while he was waiting for her, he tried calling her again and his heart kind of plummeted when he heard it ringing from the pocket of her coat, which was hanging up in the hall. Oh. He realised that her phone was there. Um, and looking around even more, he realised that her purse and her keys were also still in the flat. And he said that he just kind of went numb at that point, thinking like, oh my goodness, something must be wrong. She would never have gone out. Okay, she mm. might have just taken a different coat and forgot her phone, fine. But there's no way she'd have gone out without her phone and her keys. She just wasn't that sort of person. She wasn't the sort of person that would just kind of go out on a whim yeah. and, you know, go to someone's house and kind of crash down and stuff like that without telling anyone. That just wasn't what she did. He then realised that their cat, Bernard, was starving and clearly hadn't eaten for a couple of days. And he looked a bit oh, kind wow. of dishevelled. So, so shortly after um, midnight, he called the police and Joe's parents to report her missing. So Joe's parents, Teresa and David, jumped straight in their car um, and headed for Bristol to start the search for Joe. Greg, along with his and Joe's friends, set up a website and used social networking services to try and help look for her. Yeah. Um, and her mom said, like, when they got there, you know, they were trying to think logically, where could she be? And she was like banging on the boots of cars that were on the street to see if like she'd been abducted and locked in a car or something like that. And she was kind of desperately trying to look for her that way. But nothing there was kind of no lead she just disappeared on the 21st of December Teresa David and Greg made a public appeal for her safe return at a police press conference and then in another press conference which was broadcast live on the 23rd of December um, her dad David commented on the disappearance saying I think she was abducted after getting home to her flat I have no idea of the circumstances of the abduction because of what was left behind I feel sure she would not have gone out by herself, losing, leaving all these things behind, and she was taken taken away somewhere. So detectives found no sign of the pizza that she'd bought or the packaging. Oh, they okay. know that she'd bought it and taken it back, but there was no sign of it. Yeah, but both bottles of cider were found in the flat, um, and one of them had been partially consumed. Mm-hmm. But there was also no evidence of forced entry or a struggle, which the kind of detective thought was weird so they began to examine the possibility that she may have known her abductor or her abductor had another way of getting into the flat yeah so after six days of really no leads no sight of her whatsoever on the morning of the 25th of december christmas day a fully clothed body was found in the snow by a couple walking their dogs along longwood lane near a golf course and next to the entrance of a quarry 
which was in Failand, about three miles away from where Joe lived. The body was declared by the police to be that of Joanna Yates. And Greg and the Yates family visited the site um, a couple of days later to kind of pay their respects there. Her dad, David, said that the family had been told to prepare for the worst, but actually expressed relief that his daughter's body had been recovered. I think by this point they were convinced that she was she was dead and they were just desperate to find her body to have some sort of closure. Oh, wow. Okay. So immediately an investigation was launched, which was called Operation Braid, and it comprised of 80 detectives and civilian staff. And it was the biggest police operation in the constabulary's history. Oh, wow. Gosh. And they really urged the public to come forward with any information to help find the killer because they had nothing. They had no real evidence at all. Obviously, they had her body now, but very little else. There was very little other kind of forensic evidence that they could use initially. The police urged the public to come forward with any information at all, um, especially any witnesses who were kind of in that vicinity of the golf club in the period before her body was discovered, saying that the investigation was seeking the driver of a light-coloured 4 by 4 vehicle for questioning. Very quickly, they were inundated with thousands of calls and were exhausting every lead. Mm -hmm. Um, And they examined over 100 hours of surveillance footage. They went through 293 tonnes of rubbish that were seized from the area around her flat. Crime Stoppers offered a £10,000 reward for information. Um, and the son offered £50,000 for information. Oof. Authorities started to advise people living in the area to secure their homes and warned women not to walk alone after dark because they were worried that whoever did this was still out there. Yeah. And Joe's dad said on the 29th of December, I fear that whoever has done this will never hand themselves in, but we live in hope that the police will catch who is responsible. After the discovery of her body, they obviously kind of were looking for any any sort of lead at all and they were looking at similarities for kind of other unsolved cases and the ones that were of particular interest to them were those of 20 year old Glenis Caruthers who was strangled in 1974 so a long time before so 20 35 years before (laughs) 36 years earlier yeah yeah. and Melanie Hall who was 25 who disappeared in 1996 um, whose body was discovered 13 years later and 35-year-old Claudia Lawrence, who went missing in 2009, which okay. we've kind of touched in the past, haven't we? Yeah. And they said that there were real striking similarities between Joe's case and Melanie Hall's cases. Their age was very similar, their appearance was very similar, and the fact they they disappeared after returning home from meeting friends. But actually, apart from that, there was nothing to, to connect them. They started looking at, at surveillance footage from the Clifton Suspension Bridge, which is kind of the most direct route from the crime scene to the suburb where she lived. Oh, yeah. But the footage was really poor quality, making it pretty much impossible to distinguish cars or registration numbers or anything like that. Yeah. They were just really struggling to kind of find any sort of leads. Hmm. They began a post-mortem on Joe on the 26th of December. Uh, 2010 but the results were delayed because her body was completely frozen so it took quite a long time for them to kind of thaw her out essentially and then work out what had happened to her and they thought initially that she might have frozen to death because when they first found her there were no real visible signs of injury on her at all however they announced on the 28th of December that the case had become a murder inquiry because the pathologist um, had determined that she died as a result of strangulation and the postmortem also indicated that she died several days before being discovered. So they right. knew that, you know, she 
she must have died kind of when she went missing. And it also confirmed that she did not eat the pizza that she had purchased. So the pizza had also disappeared. So there's still a missing pizza? Still a missing pizza. Oh, okay. And what day did she disappear? The 17th. She disappeared last seen mm. on the 17th. Last seen on the 17th. Eight and, of, well, kind of half past eight on the 17th. Wow. And then she was and found, then she on, was the found on Christmas Day. Yeah. So for eight days or seven days because it was kind of like early morning late night yeah the detective chief inspector stated that the investigation found no evidence to suggest that she was sexually assaulted initially and the police obviously had to kind of rule out her boyfriend as a suspect because those nearest to the murdered or the deceased are generally the kind of people that they would look at first but um, they looked at greg's laptop and computer and phone and obviously investigated his alibi and stuff like that but he had an absolute kind of rocks on his alibi they're in a really strong relationship they'd never had any sort of issues at all they're in a really good place together he was at home in Sheffield there was nothing and so he was very quickly ruled out as a suspect which is good and was treated as a witness a young woman attending a party at a neighboring house on Canning Road on the night of Joe's disappearance recalled hearing two loud screams shortly after nine o'clock coming from the direction of Joe's flat Another neighbour who lived behind Joe's home said that he heard a woman's voice scream, help me, although he could not recall exactly when the incident had occurred. That feels a bit weird. Like, if you heard someone screaming, help me, wouldn't you um, call the police or at least go and see if you could work out where Investigate, yeah, from? what was going on, maybe. Officers removed the front door to Joe's flat to check for clothing fibres and DNA evidence. And with investigators examining the possibility that the perpetrator had entered the flat actually before Joe had returned home. So senior officers from the investigation asked for the assistance from the National Policing Involvement Agency, um, which provides expertise for difficult cases. And a forensic psychologist who was previously involved as a criminal profiler in other high profile murder cases joined the investigation to help try and narrow down the the number of potential suspects they at this point they'd have got about a thousand lines of inquiry by kind of early January 2011 and they were trying to work out how they could narrow that down to make it a group of feasible people <laughs> on the 5th of January they announced that one of Joe's socks was missing when she was found dead and had not been found at the crime scene or in her home okay it's strange they launched a national advertising campaign to appeal for witnesses through Facebook. And when that was established on the 4th of January, it had been viewed nearly 250,000 times by the following day. And this uh, kind of last bits of CCTV footage of her had been viewed 120,000 times by the 5th of January um, on YouTube. So they were kind of desperately trying to see if it kind of triggered anyone's memory, if anyone had seen anything at all. Yeah. However, kind of whilst there was still kind of going down this line of inquiry. On the 30th of December, so back a little bit, Christopher Jeffries, who was Joe Yates's landlord, who lived in another flat in the same building, was arrested on suspicion of her murder. So he was a bit of a strange character, a bit of a loner. Um, many people in the building saying that he was a bit like Filch from Harry Potter, kind of, he looks quite <laughs> similar to him and just a bit kind of, just a bit creepy. <laughs> um, he had keys to all of the flats in the building helping you know he it would be really easy for him to be able to get into her flat and police theorized that he'd let himself in the afternoon that um, he knew greg had gone away um, and had been waiting for her in the flat since five o'clock for her to get home and then when she got home he assaulted her and strangled her murdered her and then took her body and dumped him 
He'd also approached the police a couple of times with kind of tips and bits of information. And the police sort of made, that made the police feel a little bit suspicious about him. Kind of, why is he trying to get so involved? And that can be quite common, I think, that sometimes Mm -hmm. suspects try and kind of stay close to the... Yeah, um, close to the case. The the case to see what's going on. So he was taken to the local police station for questioning while forensic investigators inspected his flat. So it was quite quickly publicised that he'd been arrested, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. But when um, it was kind of you know, tele- televised that this had happened, police received a phone call from Vincent Tabak, who also lived in the same group of flats with his girlfriend. And he said that, um, actually, that's funny that he was arrested because he noticed that on the night that Joe disappeared, Christopher Jeffrey's car had swapped directions how it was parked. So it was kind of parking one way, and then it was facing another way. Oh. And that contradicted Christopher Jeffrey's earlier claim that he hadn't been out that night at all. So on the 31st of December, a senior police officer granted um, a 12-hour extension and then a further extension. Um, and in the end, he was detained as a suspect for 96 hours. But after those kind of three days, he was released on bail because they couldn't really find anything. And on the 4th of March police released him completely from bail and said that he was no longer a suspect but that's quite a long time for him to be kind of under investigation and the sort of kind of fingers that were pointed at him especially after those kind of three days of being intensely questioned about what had gone on the whole time he maintained his innocence and he kind of claimed that you know he had absolutely nothing to do with it in January 2011, um, a reconstruction of the case was filmed on location in Bristol for broadcast on the 26th of January edition of Crime Watch. Oh, yeah. When a specialised firm who actually worked on Harry Potter was contracted to reproduce the snowy conditions at the time because they <laughs> okay. knew how to kind of do the snow properly <laughs> to make it like look really kind of lifelike um, and yep. exactly kind of what it was. Um, and the reconstruction of Yates's first movements was filmed on the 18th of January. And within 24 hours of news coverage about the production, over 300 people have contacted the police again. And a breakthrough in this case led investigators to believe that her body might have been transported in a large hold or a suitcase. So on the morning of the 20th of January, so before this kind of full reconstruction got to be filmed, yeah. the Avon and Somerset police arrested 32-year-old architecture engineer Vincent Tabak following an anonymous tip from a female caller. shortly after another televised appeal by Yates's parents on Crime Watch. Canning Road was closed by police while scaffolding was constructed around the home and officers sealed off to Back's flat, which is next door. And investigators also searched a nearby townhouse of a friend where Tabak was believed to have been staying about a mile away. He had previously been ruled out as a suspect mm. during an uh, earlier on in the investigation, kind of when they when he rang up to kind of give that tip about Christopher Jeffries, they ruled him out as a suspect then. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> however, <laughs> um, because of this kind of tip off from this woman and a few other things, they decided to arrest him. Reinvestigate so, him. Yes. Yeah. So DNA tests were carried out on Joe's body, um, mm-hmm. and they kind of did a a variety of swabs and apparently even though some of the swabs matched to back they weren't quite of sufficient quality to be evaluated probably because they've been frozen and that would have obviously kind of degraded things a bit but then they used another method known as dna sense um, which enhances usable dna samples through purification and concentration of it 
And they said that we couldn't say whether the DNA was from saliva or semen or even touch, but we could say that the probability of it not being a match with tobacco was less than one in a billion. DNA wise, they were quite close um, <laughs> to saying, yeah, yeah, we think that he did it. So after another 96 hours of questioning, and this time for Vincent Tabak, he was charged on the 22nd of January 2011 with the murder of Joanna Yates. He made a brief appearance in Bristol Magistrate Court on the 24th of January and was remanded in custody. He initially maintained that he wasn't responsible for her death, claiming that the DNA evidence linking him to the crime had been fabricated by corrupt officials. However, on the 8th of February, He told Peter Brotherton, who was a prison chaplain, that he'd killed her and intended to plead guilty. On the 5th of May, um, Vincent Tabak pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of Yates, but denied murdering her. His plea of guilty to manslaughter was rejected by the CPS. And on the 20th of September, he appeared at a pre-trial hearing at Bristol Crown Court. Okay. So Vincent Tabak was born on the 10th of February 1978. So he was 32 um, and he was a Dutch engineer. He moved to the UK in 2007 and he moved to Bath initially. And then him and his girlfriend moved to the flat in Canning Road, Bristol in June 2009. And although Joe uh, Yates and Greg had moved to the neighbouring flat in late 2010, her and Tabak had never actually met, even though they lived next door to each other, they'd never met. After killing Yates, Tabak attempted to cast suspicion for the murder onto Christopher Jeffries after seeing the news broadcast about the fact that he'd been arrested. So he rang um, the police from um, his Christmas trip back to the Netherlands and said that he had, the, you know, that he'd been using his car on, on the night. Um, and an officer was actually sent to Amsterdam to talk to him. Um, to kind of get his statement and they met at Amsterdam Schiphol airport on the mm-hmm. 31st of December where he elaborated on his story but the the police officer who'd been sent grew quite suspicious of his interest in the forensic work being carried out by police and because what he said didn't quite concur with the previous statement so he'd kind of alerted suspicion in them a little bit <laughs> and then kind of with this other tip off and then obviously when they were able to get some dna and kind of test it that kind of sealed his fate in the months leading up to joe's death he had used his computer to research escort agencies during business trips in the uk and in the us and he'd also started viewing really quite violent internet pornography that depicted women being controlled by men and showing images of them being kind of bound and gagged and they um realized that he'd been watching that on the kind of the day that she'd been murdered right and in one scene there was a woman who bore like a real striking resemblance to Yates and she had kind of arranged she had a top arranged in a certain way and when um, Joe Yates's body was discovered she was kind of arranged in a really similar way to this kind of footage that they knew he'd been watching after the trial, it also emerged that pornographic images of children had been found on his laptop. Mm. Um, and they announced that he'd be obviously prosecuted for possessing these images. But he was only sentenced to 10 months in prison for that to run concurrently yeah. with his existing sentence for the murder. So the trial of Vincent Tabak started on the 4th of October 2011 um, at the Crown Court in Bristol. And his um, lawyer in the trial was William Clegg, brother of Nick. <laughs> And oh, okay. um, the prosecutor was Nigel Lickley QC. He pleaded guilty to manslaughter but denied murder. The prosecution's case was that he had strangled Joe at her flat within minutes of her arrival home on the 17th of December. 
using sufficient force to kill her. They stated that uh, Tabak, who was about a foot taller than Yates, had used his height and build to overpower her, pinning her to the floor by the wrists, and that she'd suffered 43 separate injuries to her head, neck, torso, and arms during the struggle. Oh, wow. The injuries included cuts, bruises, and a fractured nose. Um, Lickley told the court that the struggle was lengthy and that her death would have been slow and painful. However, he didn't offer an explanation for the reasoning behind his attack on Yates. Um, evidence was presented that Tabak had tried to conceal the crime by disposing of her body. Um, and they think that her body was found where it was because it was so close to that quarry yeah. and that he was kind of trying to get her body into the quarry to get uh, rid of yeah. it because then it would have probably either never be been found, found or yeah. taken a lot longer to be found. Um, but they think either something spooked him or he couldn't physically move it anymore, um, which is why it kind of ended up on the side of the road. It was near a wall that would have kind of gone into the quarry and he couldn't quite get her over there, basically. So there's a, you know, he was trying to kind of hide her away. Oh, wow. They heard that the samples taken from her body had provided a match with tobacco and samples found behind her knees of her jeans indicated that she may have been held by the legs as she was carried, um, while fibres suggested contact with his coat and car. Um, mm -hmm. Bloodstains were found on the wall overlooking the quarry, quarry where right. she was discovered. The prosecution also said that he'd attempted to implicate Christopher Jeffries for the murder during the police investigation. And at the day in the days following Yates's death, he'd made internet searches for topics that included the length of time a body takes to decompose and the dates of refuse collections in the Clifton area. Wow. So was he gonna put her in a <laughs> sounds like a bin. It, yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's kind of one reason why maybe they were like spent such a long time going through all of that rubbish initially yeah. there's kind of tons and tons of, of rubbish to see if there was kind of any parts of her in there but i think the number one rule of of committing a murder is don't google things to do with the murder I know. <laughs> um, because no, leave technology nothing, out of it yeah, yeah that's never going to reflect uh, <laughs> reflect well on you get a use a book <laughs> um in his defense he claimed that the killing had not been sexually motivated and told the court that he'd killed her whilst trying to silence her after she screamed when he tried to kiss her. He claimed that she had made a flirty comment and invited him to drink with her, which sounds awful that he was kind of trying to throw into that sort of disrepute because from kind of all accounts, that's just not the sort of person that she was, she was at right. all, especially not for this random guy that she'd literally just met for the first time. Yeah, He said that after she screamed, um, he held his hands over her mouth and around her neck to silence her. And he denied suggestions of a struggle, claiming to have held her by the neck with minimal force um, and only for about 20 seconds. And he told the court that after dumping the body, he was in a state of panic. Um, but that doesn't sound particularly plausible to me, especially with the kind of extent of the injuries that she had. No. The jury was sent out to deliberate on the 26th of October and two days later, they um, returned with a guilty verdict mm -hmm. um, for Vincent Tabak of... Joanna Yates's murder then by a 10 to 2 majority and he was jailed for life with a minimum term of 20 years okay wow yeah that was That's a real the... piece of detective work wasn't it yeah <laughs> um lots of twists and turns lots of twists um, and turns so, did you say that Christopher Jeffries wasn't sort of cleared until the March the March yeah even so, though they charged yeah so kind of six back weeks in the... after January it kind of took six weeks for them to kind of, you know, clear him properly. And one of the really big issues with this case was the treatment of Christopher Jeffries. Yeah. 
Um, and the fact that he'd been named as a suspect in the press yeah, kind of yeah. immediately. And it meant that ITN were like banned from attending press conferences for a bit. And they tried to kind of um, put a motion through Parliament that if that happened again, reporters could be jailed for six months for kind of that sort of thing, because it, well, it almost derailed the case with, um, you know, kind of the actual murderer coming forward and saying, oh yeah, actually I've got evidence about that guy that you've arrested. And yeah, it meant that obviously the damage had been done for him. Yeah. And he did sue a lot of um, people <laughs> and <laughs> got quite a lot of money <laughs> off the back of it. Um, but yeah, it was, that was quite a serious issue that went, that everyone just kind of jumped to the conclusion that, oh, it must have been him because he had the keys and, you know, he could have got into the flat and, and stuff like that. And yeah, he was this kind of creepy old man sort of thing, mm. but it must have been him. So yeah, that was one of the kind of the big issues with the case. Yeah, and it, it was snowy that Christmas. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the snow. And I was thinking that was the, probably the last Christmas that it properly snowed, wasn't it? Because we, we went to... Um, probably was. We were at Kimber Edge. Edge. Sledging. Sledging with Maybell. Yeah. <laughs> that day. I've still got the photograph up in my bedroom. Yeah. But she was so day. old and she was still like kind of running up and down. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Uh, trying her best, bless her. <laughs> well, she yeah. still had two years in her, at that stage. Yeah, she did, yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, that is the story of Joanna Yates. So, yeah, a really sad story. Just sad, yeah. Random woman who was just kind of kidnapped and murdered and dumped and then found on Christmas Day. Very sad. So have you got some pictures to go with that case? Yeah, plenty of pictures. I will um, I'll post them on our Instagram page. Yeah, well, thank you very much for telling me that, that story about Joanna Yates. Uh, as you say, very sad particularly around Christmas time as well. That's double blow, isn't it? Christmas will never be the same for the people that are affected by that ever again. But I think good that they got some closure, um, some sort of closure. You know, they managed to um, find out what happened to her and then they found her and they were able to get the man who did it prosecuted. So is there any uh, true crime news this week, Phoebe, to, to discuss? I think the case that I saw today that kind of really sparked my interest was around David Fuller being um, sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison for the murder of the two women in the 80s but then also the abuse of those kind of 100 plus dead bodies whilst he worked in mortuaries two hospitals wasn't it yeah two hospitals he worked in as an engineer and yeah he will spend the rest of his life in prison because yeah that's just absolutely horrific it is pretty awful that i mean murders are bad enough but yeah dead bodies desecrated mm-mm. bodies yeah there's a lot no. of very depraved people out there and yeah i think the other story that has come out today as well, well over the last couple of days are that those two women i don't yeah. think we're going to name them have been found guilty and now jailed for their horrendous treatment of little baby star hobson yeah and her ultimate ultimate death yeah well she was only 16 months 16 months yeah Yeah. absolutely tragic absolutely tragic coming so soon after the arthur lavigno hughes case as well yeah awful 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 going on and it's both it's both been kind of stepmoms both times. Though, yeah, it has. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. So the, Obviously uh, both the the kind of parents were complicit. 
Um, but mm. it's one thing I didn't realise about the Arthur Labinia Hughes case was that his mom was in is in prison for oh, okay. murdering her ex. She stabbed her ex boyfriend to death and went to prison. So he was obviously in the custody of his dad. So that's horrific. But then also the grandfather of Star Hobson I read today committed suicide back in the summer after realizing what his daughter had done to Star Hobson. So wow, lots of twists and turns to the uh, to both awful, of these cases. Awful. Then, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so we won't dwell on those. No, I saw in America that Bigler Stufer, what a name, who was seventy nine, was put to death last week by lethal injection for the murder of his ex-girlfriend in 1985, um, making him the eldest person to be executed in US history. Okay, gosh. 79. 79, yeah. For his last meal, he had a chicken burger, two slices of bread, broccoli, mixed fruit, two biscuits, a fruit bag, and one bottle of water. Sounds like quite a boring uh, Yeah, final meal. (laughs) You've got something more exciting than that, wouldn't you? Um, but he's always maintained his innocence, which I'm sure a lot of people do. But um, yeah, he's quite, he's always quite vehemently denied it. So. Right. Okay. Well, thanks for that roundup of uh, news from this week, Phoebe. Yeah. So you'll, you've got some pictures that you'll put on our Instagram page. Yep. I'll share some photos on our Instagram page at Dad and Daughter Do Death. And on our Facebook page, Dad and Daughter Do Death. And you can always email us at dadanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. We're very quickly approaching the end of 2021 and very quickly getting up to a whole year of um, dad and daughter do death. So we thought a good way to round off 2021 would be to have a look back through some of the cases that we've covered and also some of the news stories that we've covered over the year and do it in the form of a, a bit of a quiz typical lockdown star quiz <laughs> and <laughs> a chance to kind of, well. end of year quiz <laughs> a chance to kind of yeah test our our brains and yours too to see what you what we all remember from the last year so um, yeah. yeah look out for that coming sometime between christmas and new year I'm going to really look forward to that, Phoebe. That'll be good fun. Yes. We hope that you'll all join us next time when once again, Dad. And daughter, do death.